episode of the cloud-based mayhem i've got a really special show for you all today uh, we're sticking with our female theme the last podcast with isabella messenger was by far the most popular we've had just such an eloquent uh personality in our sport that we went to all kinds of great places if you haven't heard that one please i implore you to go back and check it out um this one, I think I don't think I've been very nervous talking to most of our guests, but this one I was certainly nervous. Uh, Carrie Castle's been flying for 35 years, has been an incredible mentor to me, and I know to hundreds, if not thousands of others, been flying 35 years. Her resume is just ridiculous. 14 national championships on a hang glider, three on a paraglider, three world championships on a hang glider. Uh, a couple of those, she beat all the guys. Uh, Red Bull athlete, did the X-Alps in 2005, which we have some laughs about uh, her lack of uh, kind of preparation and knowledge about going into that is just is pretty hysterical right up there with uh, some innate stories about his campaign in 2007. Uh, we go all kinds of places here. I really implore you to stick with this one, stay with it till the end. Uh, we talk about risk management, the dangers of that kind of comp mentality. Uh, we talk about two liners. There's actually a little bonus section at the end here where we talk about flying two liners and why she got away from flying comp wings. Uh, we get into all kinds of things, really. The keys to staying safe. Uh, Carrie has had an incredibly long career, accident-free, and uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of reasons, we, a lot of things we can all learn from. We also talk about two of her reserve tosses on a hang glider, which is pretty unusual for hang gliders. They, they're not like paragliders. They don't like to throw their reserves, and for very good reasons. Uh, you tumble a hang glider, you're going to be in disintegration mode, and, and uh, we talk about a couple of those, which are really more funny than scary, but we also get into kind of some scary stuff here. We talk about the accidents last year that happened at the Sierras and, and what we all can maybe learn from that. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with one of our sports True legends, Carrie Castle. Carrie Castle, it is just magnificent, and I have to say, uh, I'm a little nervous about. Usually, I don't get too nervous about these podcasts, but. Um, I, I don't want to make you blush right off the start here, but you're kind of one of my heroes and uh, and, and mentors. And it is just, uh, I've had a lot of people request uh, getting you on the show. Thank you so much for giving me uh, some of your time and uh, allowing me to track you down. I understand uh, you, you, you've just been over in Europe for quite a long stint. What were, what were you doing over there? Uh, well, I was on a little um, travel work vacation in a sense. I, I'm, I'm working with CIVL, so I'm doing official type work at competitions now, which brought me to Italy for the paragliding pre-worlds and then also to the aerobatic world championships in Annecy, which was a blast. Yeah, both of them were fun. And in between, I traveled around and um, got to see some places I haven't seen in a long time. So it was absolutely wonderful. Very cool. I, I watched some of the Annecy uh, Aerobatics Championship on online. It is pretty amazing what those folks are doing these days. Unbelievable. <laughs> I loved it. Just, yeah. And, and, and the best part is just seeing all these young kids in the sport and just loving it and having fun. And 
yeah, it was just absolutely wonderful energy. Good stuff. Yeah, I like. I, it seems to be that that end of our sport is really bringing in the young kids, and I, that's that's very cool. I, I like that a lot. I think hopefully yep. they'll be then they you know they can stick with it forever as <laughs> you and I have more yep. to an extent. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Good point. I think they will. <laughs> Well, yeah. Carrie, not to not to make you blush even a little bit more, but uh, just getting ready for this this talk, um, I had to go look because I, I knew a lot of it, but uh, I had to go kind of look at your CV, which is uh, well, it's ridiculous. <laughs> let me just oh please let me, yeah no it is my goodness uh, and I just so I want to kind of rewind the clock, go through some of this, let me know what I've missed. Uh, three times hang gliding world champion. Uh, you two, you, you currently hold two hang gliding world records. You hold the world tandem distance record in Australia, 228 K. You're the four time U S paragliding national champion. Uh, first, you're the first female in 1991 to fly over 200 miles in a hang glider, uh, 14 total national championships in hang gliding. Uh, you fly paramotors, ultra ultralights. You uh, fly speed wings. Uh, what is it you don't do that's uh, that has to do with the air? That is ridiculous, by the way. It, it, what did I miss? I haven't base jumped yet, or or flown a s- squirrel suit, or which. Oh my god, I watched that and I want to, but I'd never do it. But I want to. Well, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it's I'm sure it's coming. My my gosh, that is just uh, remarkable. When did you when did you start in? Uh, what was the impetus? What what uh, what what got you into it? Well, flying. I mean, for I always had dreams as um, as a kid of flying. You know, the Peter Pan type. You know, where you just launch out of your backyard and you just fly above your neighborhood and look down and and soar. And when I had the opportunity to fly tandem in Colorado one year, just out of high school, um, I got so excited at the idea. But we never found the pilot, so I was bummed. And a couple of years later, I was in Canada hiking in the, the the Rockies there. And I ran into a guy that had a hang gliding t-shirt on. And I went, Oh my God, you do that. I was going to do that. What's it like? Blah, You know, that kind of thing. And he just, you know, couldn't, yeah, he loved talking about it. And he said that I could learn and I could, you know, fly myself. And I thought, what me fly alone. And, you know, so that was the first time I had even thought of that kind of thing. And he said, yeah, you, they teach right here in Calgary. Just sign up for a weekend lesson and you'll fly yourself. And it's like, oh my God. And I thought it'd be more like a base jumping thing, you know, where you go, you base jump and it's over and you go, woo, did it. And so, you know, I did, I signed up for a weekend lesson in Calgary and, and that was it. I was hooked once I got airborne, that is. <laughs> what what year was that? 1981. 1981. Okay. So, and at first, so, and you're, you're one of these athletes who's, who goes, uh, this kind of sounds strange, but goes both ways. You're a hangy and a paraglider. (laughs) Um, and, uh, so, but it started with hang gliding. So take us down that road for a while. Well, yeah, that was in 1981 and, um, that was in Canada. I had the weekend lesson. I couldn't stop thinking of hang gliding after that. I was still living in Michigan, uh, a year later, I moved to California by chance, long story short, 10 minutes away from the biggest hang gliding school, ended up looking into hang gliding lessons, found out how expensive it was, um, couldn't afford it because you know, I just moved there. They ended up um, allowing me to work for the school in exchange for my lessons. So I worked off all my lessons, bought my first hang glider and so I, I was learning to fly in the Bay Area and loving it. That's where I you know, got 
um, entered my first couple competitions. The first competition I entered was at um, in at Sled Heaven. We call it Sled Heaven. Ed Levin in Malpitas. And it was uh, the first silent air show, and they had hot air balloons, sailplanes, hang gliders. There were no paragliders at the time um, and stuff. It was just a show, and the club put it on, right? And they said, Carrie, we need you to enter. And it's like, no, I can't enter. You know, I'm a new pilot. And they're like, all you have to do is take off really good, fly out over this this um, windsock in the middle of the LZ, do a 360 round. And I said, I can't. I've never done a 360. And they're like, well, don't do that. And then all you have to do is stay up as long as you can and then come in for a spot landing. That's all you have to do. And I go, okay, well, I can take off good and I can try to stay up and I can land pretty good. Okay, I'll do that. You know, and I forgot the flag bit because I had never done a 360. So I took off and I stayed up and I, it was just one of those scratching kind of days at Ed Levin. That's what they call it, sled heaven. You know, like if you can stay up, it's, you know, it's pretty good. And so I just stayed up on this one point. I, I figured, well, as long as I'm staying up, that's what they said. Stay up, stay up. So I stayed up. I don't know how, but a long, long time. People, I would see them take off. They'd fly by me, go out land all day long. I'm like, why aren't they staying up? We're supposed to stay up. You know, so I, so I stay up and then finally I'm like, there was nobody else coming down. I thought, all right, I better come down. So I came in and I nailed the spot and I was all excited and they're like, you won. I went, what? But I didn't do a 360 and I go, it didn't matter. You stayed up longer than anyone and blah, blah, blah. So that was kind of, that hooked me on competing. It was just so much fun <laughs> and easy. <laughs> so yeah, that was fun. Clearly you had an early talent. <laughs> uh, yeah scratching i love scratching great, great. <laughs> yeah no so that was fun so i entered a bunch of competitions in the bay area and then um i started uh with regional competitions which was great at the time you know it's something i wish we had more of nowadays you know more of the 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 league meet type stuff that jug is putting on and the southern california pilots are doing um there was a lot of that for us back in the day with hang gliding, so it was great, you know. And to make the national, to make the nationals, um, it it was a big thing. You didn't just go to the nationals; you had to qualify, you know, be in the top ten of your in your region. So that was pretty cool. So I got hooked on all those fun competitions and went to my first um, nationals, U.S. nationals in 1988 in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and that was the first time they had awarded a women's national champion. And I won it, and it was so exciting. And, you know, at the time, I was um, working at a high-technology marketing research company in the Bay Area. And I remember when I got back from that competition, my picture was on the front page of the San Jose Mercury News. They did an article on me. And, and the president of the company called me up on the phone and said, what would it take to sponsor you? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> what does that mean i'm like wow this is like a dream what do you uh i don't know um you tell me and so i said oh let me call you back so i hung up and i must have asked for help or whatever and i just i don't know came up with something and long story short they agreed to sponsor me they said you know as long as i work three weeks out of the month i had to have a week off every month to go compete they'd pay for everything all they wanted was um, their logo on my wing. They would pay, um, I would maintain my medical insurance and as if I was a full-time employee, et cetera, et cetera. It was Whoa. just a dream. 
what, um, what is this company? <laughs> what were? What... I know, no kidding. This was um, it was called DataQuest. It was a high technology marketing research company. They saw the value. I mean, because there I was, you know, there was a front page, my hang glider. I'm launching off Henson's ramp, and it was a gorgeous picture. I mean, I'm just lifting off, and you could see the undersurface. And the guy saw. He goes, "Man, DataQuest on the wing. Whoa, there it wow. is." That's you know? amazing. I know it was a dream, and I yeah. And so I, you know, so we did that. I just started going with that. And then I think it was a couple months later, maybe a month later, because that was in April. And then I went to the Owens to, uh, it was called the Owens Valley Cross Country Classic. And it was a big competition in the hang gliding world, you know, to go to the Owens. It's like, you know, that's a big deal. So this was a world comp. No, um, no, it was just a, it was a competition that ran every year in the Owens. There was a core group of guys and I think it started in 2017. It'd be 40 years. What is that? (laughs) You do the math. Yes. And it was a big comp, you know, like, you know, at the time, I mean, you know, like any of them, not like a PWC kind of thing, but you know, I was going to the comp and I think it was the second time I'd been there, but anyway, it was the year I, um, I was doing really well. I was in fourth place going into the last day. I mean, it, I was having a good, good I mean, competition. When you say fourth place, and, not with the women. You're talking overall. You're talking everybody. No, I think I was the right. only one. Okay. No, okay. overall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, o- overall, no, I was in fourth yeah. place overall. And yeah, I remember, I'll never forget. I just climbed up a White Mountain Peak. I got over 16.5. I thought, all right, I'm going on glide towards Black Mountain. For those of you that know, um, and I remember I just crossed the big canyon there, Millionaire Canyon. I'm over Barcroft, um, and I remember thinking, "Oh, I should tuck my arms in to get aerodynamic, you know, because that's what all the big boys do, right?" So I'm thinking, "All right, go on, you know, because I'm just gliding, right?" And I'm, you know, I'm going to Black Mountain. It was the last turn point, and then we had to go out to Fish Slough, and it was over. It was the last day, last day of the comp, and boom, no warning, no nothing. I just, it just tucked just as if, you know, just someone, you know, God, somebody just took my glider and flipped it upside down forward. You know, like it went over forward and just, I mean, it took me by surprise. There was no turbulence leading up to it. Anything. I went from flying straight, tucking my arms into whack because I let go or the bar got ripped out of my hands. My body karate chopped the leading edge in the crossbar when it hit, you know, when it went upside down. And so then I'm laying in my wing upside down, looking at my wing broken, and I'm spinning. I'm like, shit, <laughs> this sucks. It's over. Fuck. And so, so I'm looking up, and so I get on the radio. I said, my glider just broke up. I'm going to have to throw my reserve. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. You, <laughs> you got on your radio, and you said, I'm going to throw my reserve before you threw your reserve. Yes. <laughs> You know, like I'm just saying, as if I'm talking to myself, I mean, you got to talk to someone, help. Yeah. Well, this is what I'm looking at. I'm like, all right, my glider just broke up. I'm going to have to throw my reserve. So, uh, uh, and then I remember one of my teammates, you know, because we're all on our own little frequencies, right? And the guy gets, Mikey, Mikey Harvison, I'll never forget. He gets on the radio, goes, if this is a joke, that's not funny. I remember hearing that and I thought, well, I'm not going to argue right now. I've got a job to do. <laughs> and so that's when I, I looked down and I, I remember because we had our reserves on our chest right there. And so I grabbed the handle. I remember pulling the Velcro and how hard it was to pull, but I don't remember throwing. So I don't know if I just like panicked and threw. I don't know if it got ripped out of my hand. You know, it's one part of the whole thing I don't remember for some strange reason. 
Um, but then the next thing I know, I could have gotten knocked out. I really don't know. But the, all I know is the next thing I know, I'm looking at my bridle and it's all like wiggly out to the side and I'm still spinning. And I'm like, well, that doesn't look right. And I remembered in my shoot, you know, deploy clinic thing, whatever that I never had, but I heard about it that you're supposed to like pull it in to get that little diaper bag off the end of the, <laughs> the reserve. And so I thought, oh, okay, I got I got a yank on the thing. You know, or no, actually what I was thinking was I was going to pull it in again and rethrow it is what my thought was. So I start hand over hand pulling the bridle in and then, you know, that got the bag off the end of the reserve and then it opened. Well, because I pulled in all that bridle, it was wrapped around my arm. And when it opened, my arm got pinned. <laughs> it went bam. And my arm was pinned along the side wire and then, you know, straight up to the reserve. But at least the reserve was out now. And I thought, well, I'm not going down with my arm pinned to the side wire. And I just yanked that shit out of there, right? And it's like, okay. So then I thought, okay, um, I'm going to get out because we had a zip up harness, you know, and I'm laying on my back. So I unzip my harness and I get my legs because I'm upside down in the glider. Still. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. And the reserve's up above and I'm just kind of floating down. So I thought, well, I don't want to go down laying on my back. So I thought I'd stand up and go for a ride. <laughs> so I climbed out of my harness and stood up and I'm hanging onto the base bar because now it's above my head, right? And I'm standing on the keel. And so I just went for a ride and I remember... I remember looking at the ground and oh man, those canyons. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. You're in, <laughs> you know, you're, so you're you're in the down, terrain. You haven't gone off the end oh, out of the flats. You're in the, you're in the big oh, stuff God. still. Oh yeah. Well, I'm at 50, you know, it happened like about 15 five and I was over Barcroft. I don't, you know, and, and so Barcroft is nice and smooth and rolly up top, but you know, out in front, yeah, you know, terrible. Those real deep canyons. Yeah. And, but luckily with the wind drift, I could see that, wow, maybe I'm going, no, it was no. I wasn't even looking over the back. I was just looking out at the canyons. That's right, because I didn't even know to look back, or you know, it all kind of happens fast. I remember thinking of my mother. I'm thinking she is gonna be pissed when I'm dead. <laughs> you know, because I didn't call and tell her how you know I was doing in the comp, and I usually did. And I remember thinking, oh, I didn't call my mother, and now I'm gonna be dead, and she's gonna be mad. <laughs> <laughs> my mommy <laughs> but anyway i was looking out you know like down the canyons thinking oh this is it i mean how do you survive <laughs> and little did i know i was skimming this like the peak right above you know this little um you know the the plateau up there up by barcroft it was you know by the research center that was another interesting thing the whole mountain range right there's only one building along that whole thing and and when i was coming down you know, once I got the reserve out, I said, oh, I see a building. I see a building. So everybody knew exactly where I was because there was only one building pretty much in that area. So they could, you know, zero in and know pretty much where I was heading, you know, about where I was going anyway. So they all watched me go in. Yeah. And so I was skimming along this little peak and I didn't even see it. And so I, you know, I crashed before without even knowing. I thought I still had, you know, a couple two, three, 500 feet or whatever, you know, before I was hitting. So I was somewhat relaxed when it boof, just stopped, you know, cause I was, you know, behind me and below me. I, you know, I didn't know what was going on and <laughs> I just hit and it was over and I was alive. It's like, Oh, Whoa. That's God, who, who, who needs Marriott's great America when you've got a hang glider? <laughs> well, <laughs> I took tell the you what, best it, ride there is. No shit. It took a beating too. I mean, well, it took the impact really. I mean, yeah. The glider I mean, did. I broke. Oh God, it was disintegrated. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. And now, for, forgive forgive my ignorance with with hang gliding because that's 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 not my sport. But did, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly back then, I I doubt it. But do you have SIV? Oh God, no. Okay. No. And you still don't. No. Okay. Okay. No, there. I mean, the only thing that you you don't practice that stuff. You know, you practice stalls, but a stall on a hang glider is like nothing. I okay. mean, you push out and it Stall stalls, it. and you pull, and it, it's kind of like an airplane. You know, yeah, it comes in, and it's like absolutely nothing. It's fun, <laughs> you know. It's fun. Not like a paraglider where it wads up, and you know you got to do it right or whatever. Yeah. So, so no. really, your 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 biggest risk on a on a hang glider is what happened is tumbling, because something's going to so. break. Yeah, that or you know, I mean, obviously pilot error if you set it up wrong or you know that kind of thing. Because there's lots of ways you could screw up. I mean, there's plenty of pilots that have launched unhooked i'm uh, you know i'm gonna knock on wood on that one because yeah. i think i've found a way to have that never happen but um you know but yeah putting the thing together wrong or not hooking in or or you know not you know bend you know like ha- having a bad landing and, and and hitting a rock with your leading edge which is you know then you have a really weak leading edge and under pressure it's going to fold you know, so that kind of stuff that you just got to be smart about, you know, and take care of your gear. And, you know, when you load it on a truck, you know, you know, there's stuff you have to pay attention to. But, you know, it's pretty straightforward stuff if you pay attention, like anything. Hmm. Tell yep. you, you mentioned you've got a way where you you never hook in uh, or you you never miss hooking in, which, which actually. Right. Is that describe that? How, how do you do that? Because that's probably valuable information to some of the oh, learning hangies out there. And why everybody doesn't do it. I have no idea. So when you set up your hang glider, you just set up your harness as part of your setup of your hang glider. And oh. you don't get into your harness unless it's hooked into your hang glider. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That's brilliant. And so, and then if you're on launch and you don't like it, you turn your glider around, you climb out of your harness, but it's still attached to your hang glider. A lot of people will get in there, you know, they'll get in their harness and they don't want to be hooked in when they walk to launch. Well, to me, that's kind of like this ground handling stuff we do with the paraglider. It's like, it's stuff you practice. I love walking to launch hooked in. I mean, you feel connected. I can handle my hang glider in wind and on a windy launch, but a lot of people don't put that practice in to feel comfortable, you know, in those situations. So they'll, they'll walk out to launch, then hook in so that, you know, because you are somewhat vulnerable, obviously, if you walk to launch and it's super windy, or gusty or dust out, you know, you're hooked in. So you're going for a ride. Well, if it's, are those conditions and you're hooked in, that's when you ask for help. You know, that there's usually people around you grab this wing, you grab this wing, you grab my nose. Don't do anything unless I say, you talk to them and you just use them, um, or, or deal with it. I mean, I think it's easy, but you know, it, again, it's practice. I mean, yeah, have this, just, have the skills. Maybe if you don't have the skills right. uh, for that kind of condition, then you shouldn't be flying in that anyway. So that removes the whole having to hook into the first place. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That, that's what, that'll take care of that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so let's uh, take, take me down the road of the world championships. And then somewhere in there, there's a transition, but not really a full transition because you still hang glide now, correct? Um, oh, I'll do it. I don't own a hang glider, but boy, if there's one on a launch, I'll set up. Okay. I would be more than happy to go fly it. Or, you know, like a year ago, I, I got a call and they needed a stunt double to fly a hang glider off a 
cliff in, in Southern California. I went, all right. And I thought to myself, hmm, haven't flown a hang glider in a couple of years, but that's all right. So paragliding's more your thing now, but let's, rather than advancing, uh, I believe I've got this math right, 35 years from 1981 to now, that is amazing. But let, you know, so there's somewhere in here, there's this transition, but before we leave hang gliding, um, when did Red Bull sponsorship and world championships happen? Could you kind of roll all those into one? Yeah, let's see. Um, 96, 1996, 95, you know, uh, we had the, another women's world and it was in Australia. I won the pre-world and then I won the worlds for the first time. So that was my first women's world. Um, after that, you know, I was at the time sponsored by Airwave and that was going great. Um, and I just made a cold call. That's right when Red Bull was coming into the country and I think they had sponsored I don't I think they had sponsored one other pilot I'm not sure about the I forget but I remember they were sponsoring people in Europe and stuff and I thought why don't they sponsor me I'm a world champion so I called Red Bull up and um, you know asked them about it and they said well have you tried it yet and I said, oh, no, I haven't. <laughs> no, like, I, Do I you like you the what, product? Well, I know. I know details. And so they, they go, I tell you what, go try it and then call us back. And I'm like, God, at least they didn't say no. <laughs> and so I went up. I was going to ski uh, Mammoth that day. So I, I was so excited. And I went to the store and opened up the, you know, play the, the, the fridge or whatever where they sold Red Bull. And, and I saw the price. I went, ooh. <laughs> But then, and then when I tried Red Bull for the first time, it was like, oh, that's interesting. Because I had no idea. No one warned me, smushed up gummy bears. No one warned me that it was fizzy. And I'm not a fizzy drinker, you know, pot, soda drinker or anything. I, you know, I was thinking Gatorade, health juice, something, you know. And so it caught me off guard, I have to say. But then it's like, oh, I like this. <laughs> and, and so uh, after a day of skiing, I called back and, um, you know, one thing led to the other. And yeah, then I became a sponsored Red Bull athlete. And it was wonderful. It was a wonderful ride. Loved it. And it was early on in the in the time too, so it was pretty special, you know, of the those of us that were sponsored and the the team they had and all the other athletes and all the different sports. It was pretty cool because the company was small still. In the in the hang gliding, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit here, but the, with the with the hang gliding, you had the one uh, you, you had the reserve toss. Um, any other uh, before we even go that did that change how you your passion for hang gliding did it scare you did it uh change your perspective on anything or was it just yep that's what happens and get on with it oh god i wish it was that easy and that's a really good question because that really was a pivotal point in my flying i went from this girl who like if there was any chance to be in the air i thought why why would you be on the ground that's how I was. I was that addicted. I loved flying that much and, you know, just had fun. I remember, you know, my stomping grounds was Ed Levin or Fort Funston, you know, and then any ch chance I could go after work, I would be out there and people would be sitting around talking about it. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the air, dude. So yeah, I went from, you know, that kind of person to after the tumble, all of a sudden, the thing that I love the most now scared the living shit out of me. And it was awful. You know, I, I had, because I hurt my foot, my tailbone, a little bone in my back and stuff, I had some recovery. 
I think it was a month before I flew again. And the first couple of flights were fine. You know, it was fine. But when I had to go fly in the Owens again, I, you know, I'd, I'd hit any kind of turbulence at all, any kind of bump. And I was a nervous wreck and I'd have to go land. So then I, I'm on the ground. I'm bummed you know, because I'm a, I felt like a, a gutless coward. I'm like, what's my problem? You know, I'm scared to death because it scared the shit out of me, you know, and I'm frustrated because it's like, wait, you know, it wasn't like this before. And now, now what, you know, and luckily uh, my boyfriend at the time, you know, as mean as I thought it was and whatever, I have to give him credit. He pushed me, you know, he's like, what's your problem? Just get out there. So what if it scares you? Go, you know, just push, push. And, you know, he didn't allow me to be afraid in a way. Um, he just kind of acted like it shouldn't bother me, you know, even, (laughs) so it's good and, you know, whatever it is what it is. And, but if it wasn't for him kind of pushing and, and kind of helping me get back on the horse, I'm not sure how easy that would have been to, to get back on. But I, I swear it took probably two to three years before I could fly without every single bump freaking me out. And then I remember, you know, after about three years, it's like, oh, wow, I'm flying again and I'm not totally a mess. Um, but it took a long time. This is this is super interesting now because you, you've had we're going to jump here a little bit but you 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 do a lot of instructing and you do and you instruct in you know quite possibly one of the rowdiest places to fly uh, on earth you know i'd put the owens right up with sun valley wouldn't you and and uh, you know a few oh, other places absolutely. but yeah i mean the owens is rowdy as it gets i think sun valley is more rowdy but <laughs> no that's <laughs> and, and we think the owens is more rowdy so there you go but um um you know i have uh been witness, uh, unfortunately, and I'm sure you have as well, to to people having accidents. And I, I can often, you know, you 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 like to kind of back it up, and and you know what led to this. And it's often, not always, but it's often um, pilots, lower hours pilots who are flying scared. Maybe not even lower hours, any hours pilots that are that are flying scared because you don't have that whole concept that Bill Belcourt calls bringing it. You know, you're not flying confidently and. Uh, my my recommendation has always been to people that are flying scared to, to you know to back away and really you you went the you you attacked it the other way which is kind of how I always attacked my kayaking and skiing and that kind of thing if you've had a bad day well you got to get back on the horse um, and and you know get over the fear so with is the is the uh, recommendation is the advice that you got from your boyfriend the advice you would give to your students or does it or does it just depend on the student. Well, it really just depends on the student. Just be a little more kind. Uh, you know, I would acknowledge the fear, and, you know, sure. and, and that it's healthy and that it's important and it's important to just let time heal, hmm. you know, and take baby steps to get back on it, you know. And that's essentially what I did, too. I, I mean, I didn't just jump back in and, you know, do big flights after that. It, it took a while. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, I, I would just have people – yeah, I would just be – kind you know because i because i've been through it myself i know what it feels like and it doesn't feel good for someone to just say oh you shouldn't feel that way just get back on the horse it's like bullshit i feel it i'm sorry it scares the shit out of me encourage and, don't push you know right yeah you know and and these little baby sled rides is exactly what i need and that, that's what i'm gonna do because this feels good and i'm loving it right now 
And so that's, you know, and, and that's what I would encourage anybody in that situation and not put, yeah. And whatever you just said, what did you say? That was perfect. <laughs> encourage, encourage, don't push. Exactly. Right. Right. But, you know, a little bit, I think we all need a little bit of push too. And, you know, that's why I say I am grateful because I wonder if he didn't, you know, if I would have pushed to, you know, where I am today kind of thing. I, I don't know. You know, would I have been, because plenty of people have had stuff like that happen and they quit. Yeah, right? exactly. A and lot. because, Most. and maybe, maybe it's because they didn't have someone, you know, that was kind of pushing just, a li- just enough. Who knows? Maybe he knew exactly where, what he was doing and he pushed just enough to get me. I don't know. Who knows? In this, in this, career that spans most of your life really um yeah have there been so there there was that incident have there been times because it just in you seem to be involved with flying at 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 every end you know civil organizations running comps teaching also flying has there ever been a real lull in the in the passion and the desire and the wow factor of flying for you And, and and if so how have you recouped it? Wow, that's a really good question. And absolutely, I have huge waves up and down. I mean, starting with early on, like when we were first getting into paragliding, which was, I think I started in 1988. Um, yeah, the same year as at Nationals. Um, but a lot of our friends that were into hang gliding, you know, this new sport comes out, you know, paragliding and all the hang glider pilots are trying it. Well, one by one, people were getting hurt left and right. And, and I remember there was a a point where I got to where I thought I'm either going to quit everything or I'm going to just step back because I'm sick of watching my friends get hurt, you know, and I thought, God, am I next? Right. And so I remember I was, you know, at that point flying a higher performance paraglider and this and that, and kind of starting to push. And I thought, Nope, I'm, you know, and I went back to a beginner paraglider and, and I just kind of treated it, you know, I don't know. I just took a huge step back and just watched. I felt like, you know, that's kind of what I've felt with, uh, with paragliding, you know, in general, like I'm kind of just sitting back and watching things evolve. Um, kind of like speed gliding and the wingsuiting, the base jumping. It's like, Oh, that looks cool, but let's just see what this is all about. So I, I, I've, I've definitely had those waves where I'm on the leading edge of something and I'm pushing and I'm playing and then all of a sudden, whoa, I got to step back and let the guns <laughs> pave the way for a while or not pave, the, you know what I mean, just kind of play. But yeah, in, in the, the feeling of, you know, being, you know, wanting to be on that leading edge where I'm charging. Yeah, that just definitely comes and goes. It, it has to. I mean, in 35 years of flying, I mean. That'd be cool if I had that kind of passion, you know, to be on the leading edge all the time. But it it it's not there. It's when when you went when you were going through kind of the Red Bull years and the and the comp years and that kind of thing. Were you was that sometimes a hard balance? Um, you know, having the pressure of of sponsorship and performance, and yet having these kind of lulls or maybe whoa so and so just got hurt i want to back off take me through some of that well most of that i'd say from 97 to um it would have been 10 years you know it was easy you know i was charging i was going you know because i won in 96 then i won in greece the world championships then again in 2002 
I should have quit then. That was the best. (laughs) (laughs) That was the best win ever, the two two women's worlds. And then I forget what year it was. I think 93. Oh, wait. I just went backwards. The women's world, which I think is a big accomplishment. And then I, I, I was flashing back to the Sandia competition that I won overall which to me was a, you know, a, a huge accomplishment. Yeah, that's awesome. And one of those proud moments, kind of like I was just saying with the women's world in 2002, that was like, I should have quit then. And I should have quit after Sandia because Sandia that, but that was in 1993. Is that right? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah, around 2006 was kind of the end of my hang gliding enthusiasm, kind of burnout, you know, political and stuff going on that, I just, I wasn't having fun anymore. And the only reason I did any of it was because I was having fun. And I figured as long as I'm having fun, I'm going for it. And so up until then, you know, I I was just having a blast. And then it just started kind of getting funny. Were were those uh, years with the sponsorship, was that basically your job? I mean, was, was the sponsorship and competing covering your living expenses or were you doing other stuff as well? No, that pretty much, that pretty much, you know, was my living. And then, you know, I did um, coaching and guiding on the side um, to help supplement. And so, yeah, I was pretty much just flying year round, you know, whether I was competing or taking people flying. When did you move to Bishop? I moved to Bishop in 1988. So the year you learned how to paraglide. Yeah, it was all the same year. The year I went to the nationals in Tennessee, I, um, I was still in the Bay Area at that time. And then I went, that was in April, then in July, I think it was, was the Owens, you know, competition that I tumbled. And I met my boyfriend at the time. We fell in love during that competition. He landed on top to rescue me. Ooh, <laughs> slick move, Woo! dude, slick move. No, love it. <laughs> yes, yeah. it was wonderful. And at the end of that year, you know, after I tumbled, here I moved to the Owens Valley. It's like, yeah, so that's how I... <laughs> That'll cure yeah. your fear. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> that was tough. That was tough. Yeah. You, now, you, you, I want to put you on the spot here a little bit. You you talk all the time about, oh, well, you know, I needed to back off or, you know, I'll, I'll get, I'll start wingsuit flying when I, uh, you know, get the sack <laughs> to do it, which is kind of ridiculous considering your, your history. But, I mean, the Owens, you, you, you picked, you know, <laughs> one of the yeah. most radical places to fly on Earth. Why was that? Well, well, love. Ah, the boy, the boy, the boy, the boy. <laughs> love will do many things. Yes. yes, it will. Yeah, it was definitely the boy. And, you know, it was tough. It was because, I mean, those next three years, my first three years living in the Owens. Yeah, that was my playground was, you know, getting, yeah, getting back on the horn. And he loved flying in the middle of the summer in the Owens. And I'll never forget. I think it was, I forget what year, 91, 92. So a couple years after, you know, when I was definitely more or less over my huge fear thing. Um, but I remember flying in the middle of the summer. It was, yeah, it was just before the world championships in the Owens, the 93. And I said, you know what? No one's making me fly here. I don't have to fly here if I don't like it. Because that's what it got to the point where, okay, I'm doing it and I can do it, but I don't like it. And so I, that's when I quit flying there. I quit flying hang gliders there in the summer and I wouldn't even dream of flying there in the paragliders. No way. I mean, that was just me. And I, I kind of still hold that to be true for me. I don't like feeling really small in really big air. So I pick and choose my air selectively, let's say. 
I know what kind of air I like. I like carry air. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It, 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 there's an, it's, it's actually there's a definition. It's carry air. Oh yes. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, when you see carry in the air, it's carry air. Right. That's right. <laughs> so, um, so the competition start kind of wrapping up 2006, 2007. Was that really the transition more into teaching in school, and that or that been going on all the time? No, I started the teaching guiding shoot back in the early 90s, probably 91. Yeah, someone had, um, I forget the guy's name, up in uh, Shasta, they put on a super clinic, and they brought in people like myself, Santa Croce, um, Greg Smith, a bunch of instructors at the time. You know, this was still pretty early on in paragliding. And they brought us all in. They said, all right, teach whatever, you know, set up a clinic, and you know, and and write something up about your clinic, and we'll bring students, and the, the students will just pick and choose who they want to go to, and so everyone came in, and you know, someone was doing a reserve, someone was doing kiting, someone was doing this and that, and and I'm thinking, God, what do I teach? I don't, you know, because I really wasn't teaching that much. I, you know, still I was a competitor, and so I thought, well, I know how to fly cross country, and I know how to thermal. So I put on a cross-country thermal clinic. <laughs> and so that kind of started me. But it was really hard because I didn't know the flying sites up in the Shasta area. And so that's what made me think, oh, well, God, I could, you know, if that many, because I had a lot of interest and a lot of people signing up for my clinics. But it was really hard. You, you know, we drove like two and a half hours each way to a flying site, which was ridiculous. And then you get there. You don't even know what's going to happen. So that's what made me think of doing it in the Owens. And so I started, you know, I think I organized my first thermal cross-country clinic in, I don't know, 94, I think. Let's talk accidents and reserves just briefly. I don't want this to be a big downer, but the uh, have you, you, you had the reserve tossed on your hang glider. Have you ever had one on a paraglider? Nope. Okay, awesome. That's amazing. But I had two on a hang glider. Oh, you had two. Can we hear about the second one? Can you believe it? The first one scared the shit out of me. The second one pissed me off. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, this sounds like a story. Go. <laughs> yeah. So I'm at the, uh, another women's world. This was in Austria in 2004, I believe. I was doing great. I was in first place overall, three, four days into it. And I dive into this point that looked like it should work, like clockwork. I you know, hit a thermal. I'm almost to cloud base. So I've been, I'm circling up, circling up. And all of a sudden... Something grabbed me and it just spit me out of the thermal. And I remember thinking, wow, I guess I'm going this way. You know, because for something that big to take you, you know, you're banked up in a turn, you know, and solid, you're going round and round. You're not like flying slow and stupid. And all of a sudden it just, you know, takes you and spins you out the other way. You're like, okay, I'm going this way. And right when I thought that, then all of a sudden someone, it felt like grabbed my keel and just shoved me straight down. And I remember thinking, I'm not letting go of the bar. You know, because all of a sudden the memory of losing the bar the last time. So I'm hanging on to the bar. I'm doing a handstand, but my nose is pointing straight down. I'm thinking, what the hell? I'm like, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. And the next thing I remember, I remember my feet hitting the sail. I went, oh, fuck, I'm upside down. Fuck. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, as soon as I felt my feet upside down, you know, because it happened pretty fast. Like I'm out and I'm over. And then I hit, and then all of a sudden it starts tumbling. And when it started tumbling, I'm in a washing machine with a hang glider disintegrating around me. It's just beating the crap out of me, you know, because it's just ba-bam, ba-bam. They said people that were watching it, you know, people above said um, I tumbled like at least seven times, you know, over, violent. And it's it's violent. Holy moly. And when you're in it, you you 
I mean, you don't know up, down. You're just kind of surviving. You're just getting beat can, basically can I, to death. Can I make an assumption here too? You're in Austria. I mean, I know it does get it does get tends to get it it is not low there, but it's not high like the Sierras. Did you have much time? Um, luckily, I was almost at cloud base. So it was a pretty happened, high day. So I did ha- yeah. Yeah. Okay. We were high enough. I had time at that point. I I had no reference to how high I could have been on the deck. I didn't know it. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I guess going. You know, when it first started happening, it pro- it could have registered. But you know, once I was in the washing machine, you know, to me it was almost like lights out in a way because you couldn't do anything. And the only thing, the, the only reason I could do something is all of a sudden something must have snapped in the glider because it was disintegrating. I remember everything was kind of breaking up around me, you know, because it's violent. And then all of a sudden it stopped rotating. It stopped tumbling. And I was, again, wrapped. I think I got flipped out to the side of the leading edge. And I remember looking out at all the wreckage, but I wasn't spinning anymore. I wasn't tumbling. You know, I could see the sky. And I thought, I have a chance. Holy shit. And I had to think for a second. Oh, oh, oh where's my reserve? I'm, a hang I'm in a hang glider, not a pair. Okay. <laughs> and I remember, okay, it's on my side. And, you know, I was very thoughtful of, you know, grabbing the handle. And then when I was, you know, at that point I was spinning a little bit, you know, it wasn't violent, but I was turning. So, and there was a lot of, you know, leading edge, ribs, crossbars sticking out in every which way. And I thought, I have one chance to throw this. And if I throw it half ass and it gets stuck on something, I'm hosed. And so I remember going, okay, I'm turning this way. I got that sticking out. If I throw it down and around, (laughs) it should go. (laughs) And so I did, I did this like down hook side. And then, then it was another one of those freaking rides. And, but this time I'm looking out at a taco. And I remember I was looking down at this mountain that I'm above still one side was sheer rock, open, nothing but rock, steep, yuck. And the other side were trees. And I'm thinking, oh, trees, trees is good. <laughs> and I'm trying to steer, I remember, because I was on the side and I felt like when the taco pointed one way, I'd go one way. And then when it was turning the other way, I'd aim towards the other. And I was trying to steer the taco is what I remember. But I ended up on the tree side and landing in the trees. And it was like the softest landing in between trees and I got so lucky. Not a, yeah. <laughs> I think I cut my lip. And so why were you pissed? Just that it happened. You know, right. Because, you know, the fact, like, either one, I wish I was doing aerobatics or flying in the lee side and gnarly, you know, whatever, so that I could say, okay, I won't do that again. Oh, I see. You so know? it wasn't really obvious. Like, you, you, hit a, no! you hit an inversion or you hit something that no! was just weird that wasn't, wasn't yeah, you were I in mean, the right place at the right time and <laughs> things went weird. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it makes me, you know, kind of like the first one, too. It's like I'm flying along and bam. So now I fly in smooth air and it's like, when's it going to hit me? When's it going to hit me? <laughs> right. You right. know, or when I'm, you know, and then the next one happens when I'm thermaling. And it wasn't, I mean, it was a normal, it was probably like 800 up. That's not huge. It's wonderful. It's yeah. It's not tiny. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't radical. It wasn't turbulent. It was mountain, you know, 800 up, you know, stuff we fly in all the time. Yeah. We, so we, that's what pisses me off is that it did that. You know, it's like, and it's, I don't, I mean, what could I have done different? <laughs> yeah. You know? I yeah, guess it's... if I was stronger, I could have, you know, when I was doing a handstand and pointing straight down. You know, this is the one thing if I was stronger and could have pulled in 
maybe would have dove out. <laughs> but shit, it was so strong and violent. That's uh, yeah. We don't. Uh, we we pilots like to understand what went wrong, don't we? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, because then at least you could try to fix it. So I mean, there's so many hang ladder pilots that in their whole lifetime, in their career, they never throw the reserve. And it's like, why me twice? And people, I remember someone said, well, Carrie, think about it. You fly so much more than the average mm-hmm. pilot and you put yourself in condition, you know, more of those kind of conditions that would more apt to happen. So I guess that makes sense, I guess. Two things on my mind after hearing all these stories, because I, I don't, you know, again, I, uh, I'm a paraglider and uh, I don't know anything about hang gliding, but I always, you know, when I talk to hang gliders, they're, they're, they always talk about, well, we're on these things that just collapse so easy. And, you know, and we look at you guys going, yeah, but you guys are going really fast. Um, what, what is, what's more dangerous? More dangerous. They're both dangerous. I used to defend either one, both, you know, going, oh, they're not dangerous if you're smart and blah, blah, blah. No, look at it. I mean, they are dangerous, but. I don't know. It, it's it's you. It's us. It's it's what we put ourselves into. The the wings we choose to fly. The conditions we choose to fly in. You know, the time of day. You know, flying in on days when you're not feeling right or whatever. You know, um, it is dangerous. Who are we kidding? <laughs> but it's wonderful. Well, let, let, let's talk about that a little bit. You you've done a lot of teaching. Uh, start sounds like you got started in teaching in the early '90s. Um, you must see a lot of uh, people making bad decisions. Is there, you know, how do you start off your group sessions these days? What, what are the, you know, what are the things you, you've seen more of that require more slaps on the wrists? Are, are, there, are there common ones? Something that I see that I really have a hard time with are people that, you know, it's that intermediate, that beginner intermediate syndrome type thing where, they're so excited, you know, and, and we know it, you know, from our early days, how excited and how blind we are to the fact that we don't know anything. And so these new pilots that get into it and they're so excited, you know, they want to fly cross country. They want to do acrobatics. They want to, you know, do all this stuff and they don't even know how to take off and land yet. They don't know the first thing about air, you know, and so they're just ahead of themselves in their mind. And it's just because they're excited. And so those people are the ones that, you know, I really want to help and slow them down. Um, and sometimes, sometimes you can reason with them. Other times, you know, you have to just let whatever is going to happen, happen. We all get through these things one way or another, or we don't. Let's talk about the other end. Um, I was with you this time last year at the, at the Owens Nationals. Two very good friends of ours went in really, really hard. Um, and it, you, I don't really want to break down those accidents because I think people already have. Um, but what did we, and I don't mean you and me, but what did we learn from that? You know, what, what happened there that maybe could have been prevented? That is a really good question. Um, that is a good question. Complacency, I think. I'm not sure of one of them, but I know of one that was definitely possibly the pilot might have been distracted, 
been complacent story of my life talking to new pilots flying in the owens is everyone as far as i'm concerned plays too close to the hill you know and it's one thing you'll hear me say over and over don't play close to the hill it's not a place to play close in the in the mountains any you know to big mountains in therm thermal thermic conditions it's like why would you be next to the hill? I don't want to hit a thermal right next to the hill. I want to hit it when I'm hundreds of feet above the ground so it's already established and I'm not going to hit anything. Why would you play close to the ground? And I, you know, watching people fly over the years in the Owens, it's like I feel like, you know, way too many people play too close to the hill and don't give them, you know, most people get away with it, but not everybody does. And so that, that, that really bothers me, you know, people playing too close, but lessons learned. I mean, I don't know. You tell me what, (laughs) well, for, for me, both of those was reserves. You know, I, I think, I think that, you know, I, I I mean, eventually, you you know, that, that's, that's the, you know, hope the, the part that you hopefully you, you never have to get to, but you've already screwed up. You've already played too close to the hill. You've already been complacent. So then, you know, your, your last option then. And I mean, I, I, I didn't have a, a respect and understanding of reserves until I started playing around with Cody over the dirt, uh, towing this winter. I was doing a bunch of acro training with him. We were doing it over the dirt. So we were talking a lot about reserves. I didn't understand, uh, how long it takes and, and what kind of situation you're in, you know, okay, if I'm twisted up twice, that's going to take X amount of altitude to deal with. If I'm, t- if I'm twisted up six times, if I'm totally out of control, like, you know, it, being able to identify what this is not that bad versus this is really fucking bad and getting the laundry out. You know, we kept hearing at the comp, get it out, get it out, you know, and, and, you right. know, and we shouldn't be having to say that, right? right. So that should be a pilot's first instinct and that's such a good right and i think that well and i think that um you know even in myself it wasn't until after you know hearing it last year at the owens is one thing but it wasn't until after doing the acro training and actually having to use my reserve a couple times um it realizing like wow this is not just this takes some time for it to work. And, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, encouraging anybody to not throw low, throw it. If you're whatever, it, it doesn't matter. Jock, jockey told me one time, if you're 10 feet off the ground, throw the thing, but, uh, there Why is not? no too low. Right. Yeah, exactly. But the, but the other side of it for me was, it made me realize how many times I have saved my wing low and gotten lucky, you know, right. rather than just going, yeah, I may, I may not have this move. Uh, I'm going to throw my reserve. You know, uh, and, and, and a lot of things affect that decision, which I think affected those guys, which is you're in a comp. You don't want your day to end. That's retarded. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not, I hope they don't take offense at that, but I'm, you no, know, no, 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 you, no, no, you know no. what I'm saying? No, it's, it's any one of us. It's, we could be that, that person. Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's, a good it's, a, it's, yep. it's at a comp and no one matters. I mean, I'm no, that's not what I meant. The comp doesn't matter. It does. You know, no one right. remembers who won, Absolutely. who lost. These are pointless, frivolous things that we do for fun. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, give up that day. Yeah. And, and that reminds me of, you know, one of my last paragliding world championships that I went to in Valle. You know, it, this one kind of ended my thing because I watched, um, I watched the Swiss pilot go in and it was so freaking avoidable. And that's what pissed me off. And I thought, you know, I am done because I watched this guy. We all did this really stupid move anyway, the freaking team lemming move behind the El Pinon mountain. So we're shooting the gap 
and I followed along. We're all shooting the gap behind the pinon from launch um, because one guy went, and so the whole gaggle started going, and I'm like, no, no, we don't do that. We're not high enough, you know? And sure enough, I'm doing it too, so I'm shooting through. They're going, oh, God, what am I doing? This is so stupid. I was pissed at myself because I was a teen lemming. So I'm doing it too, and right in front of my eyes, I watch this guy have a collapsed, whatever. Uh, he had a um, cravat, no big deal. He could fly straight. I'm watching him fly straight. And you could see, as soon as he'd reach up to try to correct something, you know, on that side, it would start to wind in. But then he would control it, you know. And so he, he had time. He had altitude. Every time he reached and tried to fix it, you know, it would start to wind in. And so, you know, it was so obvious to those watching that all he had to do was fly out to the left, out to the valley. You could fly out with the cravat and land with the cravat. Or if worst case scenario, throw your reserve, whatever, you know. But he kept trying to fix it. He kept trying to fix it. And that's the cop mentality. And so every time he went to fix it, he wound in. And one time he was starting to get too low and it wound in and he freaking hit the ground. And it's like, are you freaking serious? He didn't have to do that. And, and you know, he ended up at head. He flew away from the hill, but I think he was gone by then. And then it wound up again and, you know, landed him in this canyon and right in front of my eyes. And I'm like, that sucks. You know, it just took the air out of my sail. I just did not feel like playing anymore. And, you know, it was so avoidable, you know, and it was because he was one of the top Swiss pilots. You know, he was, you know, I think he was, I don't know if he was in the lead, but he was like top three or something. So if he would have went out to to land, it would have been the end of his comp, you know, because it was the start of the, the race. I'm sure, I'm guessing that's probably what was in his mind that, oh, he can't go out and land because, no, he can fix it. He can fix it. Mm. So there's that whole, I can fix it till you hit the ground. Lesson there. Oh, it's so sad. It just hurt. It hurt to watch. You know, but, you know, we all, we do it. Like, I'm not, yeah, we do it. So you, you know, it's another lesson learned. And it's like, all right. I hope I learned my lesson there. Before we leave comp, so that that literally, so then that was kind of the end of of your comp flying. Um, of paragliding comps, yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah. That took oh. the wind out. You know, I mean, I've seen so much, and each one hurts. You know, and you come back after you know some time, and you fly again, and then you see something else, and you take some time, and all right, then you come back and you see something. Else. It's just like it all hurts, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, the sport is so wonderful. You keep coming back. But, mm. yeah, each one takes its toll. Takes, At least for me it does. Takes a little bit out of you. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Last year with, you know, the our friends that hit that, you know, that really hurt. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> yeah. Especially um, as an organizer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's come back to that. I want to talk about something that really cracks me up. Uh, tell me about your – X-Alps experience and and give it give us some background were you the first female to do it well that year um there was two of us I got this call I had just had knee surgery I was on the couch Is that 2005 2005 yeah I was on the couch the day before I had knee surgery I got a call from Hannes Arch and he said Carrie we need you to enter the X-Alps I'm like yeah right <laughs> I just had knee surgery yesterday he goes that's all right it's three months away you have time I'm like, oh, right. I go, I don't know anything about it. You know, like, no. He's like, come on. We just, we need you to enter. We need a woman to enter, you know, and we know you won't kill yourself and la, la, la. And I'm like, oh, man, you know. And so I remember I said, let me think about it. And I remember I 
Caldwell Gad and you know talked to him a bit and I'm like what was it like <laughs> who said, you know, was, oh, who said don't do it yeah he hated the ex-alps the whole time on the Rockies Traverse you know I had I had I had applied but I didn't know yet if I was in and every day he would just say please don't do this don't just don't do the ex-alps I mean he hated it it's so funny <laughs> I know so what do you do you do it like what do I do we do it yeah we gotta we gotta find out our own way don't we <laughs> yep he was right yeah, for someone like you, it is right. But for someone like me, it wasn't. But, it, you know, I mean, the thought of it, I love a good challenge. So, I, you know, after talking to Will and saying, no way, and would you ever do it again? No fucking way. It's like, what do I do? I said, okay. <laughs> I like a challenge. I didn't know. You know, I had really never, I, I didn't follow the first one because this was, I think, just the second one. So I really didn't, I'd heard about it. I love the concept. So I really didn't know what I was getting into because the, this was just the second one and I really didn't follow the first one. I had heard about it and thought how cool it was. Love the concept of hiking and flying. I mean, it just sounded so cool, but I had no idea really how intense it was. And, but I, I, yeah, I, I decided to go for it anyway. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just enter, you know, I thought, well, what the heck? <laughs> so I started hiking up Chelan and <laughs> Wood Rat. Those were the two competitions I went to in the spring. And <laughs> there was my practice. Yeah. Did I know anything about the Alps? No. Did I know anything about routes? No. You know, that was kind of before internet, really. Uh, I mean, there was internet, but you know, it wasn't like it is today where you can get it anywhere and everywhere and on your phones and gadgets. You had to do it with your computer. And yeah, it was, it was a different game then. Yeah, I think it was a much more of a, Will also talked about that too, that it was much more of an adventure, you know, whereas now it's very professional and, you know, the teams are, I mean, things are moving really fast. I think back then it was more like, oh, hey, my buddy's only 10K behind, I'll wait, you know, right. that right? It was more just an adventure across the Alps, which yeah, was cool. Yeah. Well, you'll love this. So, so fast forward, we're at the at the X Alps race now. Day one, we all launch. You know, I get up to launch, and I'm in my 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 uh, supporter talks me into wearing these huge mountaineer boots. <laughs> I don't because we're on a glacier, you know, and I didn't know. Yeah, know? back and then so you I'm, started on the Dockstein, right? That was the start <laughs> right. of the race. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, I didn't know, and I'm like, all right, whatever. And so I'm up there, and I'm looking around. Everyone's in tennis shoes and like hardly any clothes, whatever. And I'm like, so we launch, and it's this, you know, cloud base is absolute. We're above cloud base, and the whole valley was covered. And everyone's launching, and I'm like, "Really? Where are we gonna land? How, how you know? How do you know where you're going?" And, and like everyone's just going, and I'm like, "Wait for me!" <laughs> I felt so freaking lost from the moment of the get go. So we fly, and I'm just like gliding along like everyone else, and I'm like, "Okay, I hope." And they said, you know, that it'll probably break up, and you'll be able to see through. And and so sure enough, you know, 20k down the you know, a glide, we were able to punch through the clouds and no problem and come in for a nice landing. And I'll never forget. I, I forget the guy's name, the, the famous um, British um, pilot that did well for a bunch of years. But anyway, we landed together and, and he's like, you know, backing up real quick. And I'm just like, wow, isn't this fun? And in my mind, I'm like, we landed together. We're going to walk together. Right. And we're going to have a nice time. <laughs> You know, he is freaking out of there. And I'm like, hey, hey, wait, don't you want to talk? 
It was so funny. I'm thinking, oh, that's right. This is serious. Wow, you guys are really taking this serious. I had to laugh just how stupid I was or, you know what I mean, just like, I thought, God, isn't, come on, can't we just talk for a little while? You know, which way are you going? I didn't have a clue. Everyone had it all figured out which way. There's two routes, and I'm like, I got to the intersection. I'm like, huh, which way should I go? No, and I'm in my big old boots. You know, and it's like 80 degrees down below the clouds, and it's hot and muggy, and oh man, I ruined my feet on day one. <laughs> Blisters. Oh, yeah, that's shit. those are so, those are not uh, the shoes of choice for the X Alps. No. I've got like the lightest runners, you know, oh, that they make. <laughs> why didn't you tell me? Why didn't somebody tell me? <laughs> it was so funny. I know. I laugh about it now, but it hurt like hell. <laughs> they're. they're there are a lot of funny things like that. Like uh, one one of the things I learned was that my my feet started getting much bigger. So oh, so I had twelve yeah. pairs of shoes, you know 12. that I yeah that I'd oh, broken them all in, and they were all you know and a hundred pairs of socks. I mean, yeah, okay, I didn't have a hundred pairs of socks, but I had a lot right. of socks, and you know because the whole the, the game is like keeping yep. your feet dry, right? Yeah. And you know, but by day three, my size nine feet were like size yep. ten and a half. And I was like, right. why, why didn't anybody tell me? So I had 12 pairs of shoes that I couldn't wear. Why didn't anybody tell me about this? You know, I could have told you that I went up two sizes. Yep. Yeah. I Unbelievable. Talk, I talked to Hansa before I talked to everybody and nobody told me that one. But Aaron Duragati, the second day I'm, I'm going up, we were totally lost. We've got completely screwed uh-huh. up. We're following this dipshit <laughs> device that they'd given us that was terrible. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and I'm on my way up and I'm telling them like, you know, my feet, I actually, they feel big. They're like, they're not going to my shoes. And he's like, oh, you, you didn't know that? Uh, yeah, you have to have it. I can't. Shit. Oh, I'm sorry. I could have told you that one, too. Yeah, it is so, oh, my God, you're right. Uh, that's wonderful. Luckily, one of my supporters wears a 10 and a half, so I just started using his shoes from, from then on. Hey, oh, uh, what, one question. I, this must just be a funny one. I don't know this one, but uh, Eric, uh, your, your buddy Eric, uh, gave me, fed me some questions before you know, we, we tied in together. And he wanted me to ask you about uh, the jet flying over Waltz. We were up on launch. It used to be such a busy launch in the summer that you had to, in order to get a front row um, spot to set up and launch in a hang glider, you had to get up there early. Because otherwise, if you set up it behind, you couldn't get to the launch. You know, if you've hmm. ever been on Waltz Point. Oh, yeah. You know, and hang gliders, they take up so much more space, etc. So, yeah. So, we get up there. We claim our spot. We lay our hang gliders down. But it's 7 o'clock in the morning, so we don't need to set them off yet. So, we're just hanging out. There's, I don't know, four of us and a little kid. And, you know, it was often that the jets would strafe us and stuff, you know, from high and whatever. So we're standing there and we hear the sound and we're like, oh my God, listen to the sound. And you can hear this thing roar. And we're like, where is it? We're looking everywhere. Turns out this jet had come up the canyon on the other side of the spine. So we couldn't see it. And so it comes shooting up that canyon behind us. And then anyone that's been on that launch, there's a gap where the road goes through that little spine. And that jet came around that corner, up that canyon, up on a wingtip through the gap. Whoa. Right through, right over the road, upside down, over our heads, down the canyon, barrel rolling. And every one of us was on the deck flat, just like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. You know, and then, and then, and then it's barrel rolling down the canyon. We're like, oh my God, what the 
how you know and the only one standing was this little kid just standing there like clueless <laughs> and all the adults were laying flat on the deck oh my god it was so intense and so wonderful <laughs> it was wow. like good morning <laughs> yeah you know those guys holy shit it was good <laughs> nate nate has a family member that flies those and uh and what scares me about that is so we get them out of mountain home and a lot of times when we're heading to montana from here or we're heading to king or you know when we're flying over the pioneers they always seem to be you know be kind of between the pioneers and the big lost range um, you'll hear them just like you guys did. You'll hear them way in advance, and it's so spooky because you don't see them. And uh, it, luckily, they're usually right on the deck, so usually they go underneath us. And but what makes me so nervous about them is that when you talk to those guys and you say, "Hey, you know, by chance, <laughs> when you're going mock chicken, would you see us?" and they're like, "Dude, we're not even looking out the window." <laughs> We're, we're flying on instruments, you know? Like, basically, the answer is absolutely not. So the, the only thing that makes me feel better about it is it would be a quick end. But good God, those things, they fly so fast. Oh, You'd it's so wonderful, no... isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's so intense. It's I mean, so the feeling intense. that you get inside, it's just like, oh, well, what can you do? I'm here. I'm a sitting duck. <laughs> yep. I figured, what a cool way to go. Yeah, I mean, totally. Because what are the odds, right? As long as you I don't bring him down, too. The actually hidden, yeah. I think, are pretty slim. Pretty and slim. And if it did, like you said, it's going to be fast, and what a way to go. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You know, it's better than cancer or car accident or yeah. whatever. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking about that a lot when I was up in Alaska. You know, we were thinking a lot about bears, of course, and I was kind of like, you know what? There's a lot worse ways ways to go. Exactly. You know, that'd be quick. Well and give up worrying about it. Kind of badass. You know, I got taken <laughs> no out by shit. a bear. That's freaking cool. Hey, um, Carrie, I want to be mindful of your time. We're we're about an hour in, but I, I got to ask you two two more questions. The first is uh, another question by Eric. He wanted me to ask you about your first full stall because he said it whole it's. This this is a, a story that's way better than Cody's uh, than Cody's talk about full stalls and echo and all that kind of things because of course we're doing it in more quote unquote modern times. I imagine yours was a little different. I'm thinking my first full stall. What's the big deal? I, I don't remember. Well, just the fact that it was out at Flynn's. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, this was back in the early days of paragliding when you know um, SIV and that whole safety stuff started coming into the scene, and they're saying, okay, before you get your rating, you gotta do you know big years, and you have to do a full stall before we'll sign you off. So it's like, all right. And so someone you know had practiced it somewhere, and they told us how to on paper how to do it and so we just went to Flynn's in one evening <laughs> you know flying out towards the training hill we practiced our first full stall but I mean and as long and it worked perfectly you know we've I did exactly what they said and it worked perfectly <laughs> but yeah would I do it again no so, <laughs> oh so hold on a second here this isn't how you teach your students now no 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 <laughs> <laughs> just launch no, off lens and, and stall it over the dirt i love it well you know we didn't know we yeah. didn't know back then yeah and i remember i remember uh i was going to a safety clinic um because it was the wills wing guys that were um you know pushing it at the time um and i went to the bay area because they were doing one and rob kells you know we we're going up the hill and i said rob i don't have a reserve he's like oh just stuff your jacket in the pocket no one will ever know <laughs> Because literally, we're practicing this shit without reserves. 
<laughs> the early days, huh? Times have changed. <laughs> so you, you've amassed uh, just an unbelievable amount of knowledge, and I feel like I, it's my job as an interviewer to tap into that in, in some extent. You know, in with the culmination of the flying hangs and flying paragliders and the competitions and the X-Alps and seeing the accidents and all the teaching, um, you know, give me like, Give me a couple, two, three things that you want to pass on to our audience, which, you know, our audience is, is everybody that flies. It literally are the people who are still just dreaming about it, haven't taken their first lesson to full on PWC pilots. So, you know, what are the, what would you, and I'm kind of thinking in terms of longevity, like I'm kind of thinking in terms of the career, you know, perspective, um, yeah, what do you what do you find yourself telling your students, or what do you find yourself telling yourself uh, t- talking to other pilots over a glass of wine that that you want to share? Do it. I'd say fly for the right reason, you know. And for me, you know, I can just speak for myself. I fly, and the reason I think I've been flying as long as I have is because I have, I have fun. And when you know, like towards the end of my flying, my competition career, you know, when I noticed I wasn't having fun, as much fun anymore, and it was stressful. It it just like, why? (laughs) I asked myself, why would you do it? And so, you know, and everybody's going to be different. I mean, there's going to be, you know, a new pilot could just fly coastal sites, sled rides, soaring flights, for the rest of their life and be perfectly happy. And how perfect is that? Or there's going to be pilots that get into it and then they're going to turn into, you know, huge cross country animals and, and, or acro king dogs or whatever, you know, whatever it is, but make sure you're doing it for the right reason. And it sounds like to me, like the, the right reason is it should be fun. Bottom line is, yeah, yeah, it should be fun. Cause why else would you do it? <laughs> Really? too dangerous to do it otherwise well yeah if it's not fun then what, what what's the point right. yeah <laughs> yeah it, it seems so simple doesn't it really but we kind of i think people do lose perspective of that and and maybe do it for the wrong reasons to show off or this or that i don't know but boy if it's not fun i do it yeah i, I like that a lot let's let's leave it there that's fantastic you know, carrie I, I love that you know live to fly another day i think is the uh is the saying that we all like and we should repeat to ourselves. Um, thank you very much. I really appreciate this. We've been trying to uh, put this together for quite a long time now, and I'm, I'm glad we did. That was really special. I, thank you. Hey, Gavin, thank you so much. I'm so glad we finally connected. I love talking to you, and I love your enthusiasm for flight and sharing flight and you know, sharing knowledge, and that's what this is all about, and that's what I love about flying is you know people sharing life's experiences so thank you thank you appreciate it thanks gary i hope you enjoyed that what a cool conversation with one of the true legends in our sport hope you got a lot out of that one uh, as always all we ask for is a buck a show if you got something out of this one or one of the previous episodes or if you're just finding the podcast highly recommend you go back and listen to those there's so much great information there uh, from a lot of the ex-alps guys like tom dorlito or paul kushabauer some great acro advice from cody matank and uh andre prashaska so go back check out some of those and if you want to donate to the 
show, which I would highly appreciate. Uh, each one of these episodes takes, I don't know, 6 to 12 to sometimes a lot more than that hours of editing. Uh, I'll keep doing it. I love doing it. love sharing this knowledge. But you want to, if you want to donate to the show and help keep it going, uh, you can find those links on the cloudbasedmayhem.com underneath any of those podcasts. Uh, if you can't donate, totally understand. Keep listening and maybe put out a shout on to us uh, via, give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or share it on the social media. Uh, the whole point of this is just to make us all safer and get out knowledge from some of the great pilots in the world to everybody else. So just share it. That's doing the same thing as a donation. I really appreciate it. Uh, little bonus section here at the end. Uh, at one point in the conversation, we got really heavily into two-liners and comp wings and all that kind of thing. It was actually more me. I went off on a bit of a rant. If you want to hear some of that, just stick around and, and uh, listen to it. And if not, we'll see you on the next show. Appreciate it. Cheers. Carrie, you mentioned, I, I promised that I would come back to this. You mentioned you got out of uh, comp flying because of the accident in Valle, but you were also talking about, I think at one point, um, just where comp wings uh, were going. Was, was it just the accident in Valle or was it also uh, flying what we call uh, scarier ships? Well, no, it was a combination. Not just No, the accident was just another but it, but the biggest was I, I wasn't willing to fly the comp wings anymore, you know, especially the early, you know, early two liners that, you know, seemed pretty scary to me. And it's like, you know, none of this is worth risking, you know, and there were accidents and, you know, it, they scared me and, you know, I don't want, I don't fly well if I'm scared. So I had to make a choice. And so I just quit flying comp wings at that point. I mean, I'd love to fly a performance wing if if I had the safety feeling that I get, you know, with a, a glider like a Delta. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, God, I would love. I mean, I see what those those two wing glider or the two line gliders, whatever you want to call them, you know, they do and they perform. And oh my God, it's so cool because I love having performance, like like I did in the hang gliders. I love it. But yeah, the risk. I feel like it's risky, and I know they've gotten better. You know, everyone says you know the two liners now are so much better and so much more solid. But isn't it true when the shit hits a van on those, you got to be on it? Or is that, has that changed? Totally. You know, I mean, this, this is an interesting thing that, you know, that's worthy of a, of a conversation, you know, way beyond even me and you. Um, we, we had an accident here about three weeks ago, uh, a guy on a, on a CCC glider. And it did, was that the problem? Not really. It was really where he was and low. And, um, but <sighs> Uh, hmm. I, I've had varying degrees of, of uh, my, my viewpoints changed on this over the years, but like when you, when you look at say like an ice peak six, uh, you know, Belcourt would, would call that like a hybrid two liner to me, for me personally, and I'm not, you know, this isn't meant for the audience. This is just for me. Um, I feel like it's the safest glider I can fly because it, uh, it, one, when you're on a two glider, your leading edge is stiff as a board, you know, so it, it just does not frontal. Um, and, and you've got all that bar performance and speed to get you out of bad places. So if you're flying in places like here in some valley, when we're crossing ranges, you're not just sending it out into the flats, you know, we often have to put it in pretty dicey spots. So, I like having a wing that's got a lot of speed and that's got, you know, that I can stomp on the bar and I don't have to worry about my, my leading edge goes going. Now, the caveat with that is you've got to be flying a lot of hours and you got to know how to use your bees and you've got to be 
super on it because you're exactly right. When they, if they do go, you, what well, you can't let them go. You just, you know, you, you just, you just can't let them go. And if you're flying, if you're flying, I would say, you know, if you're flying a lot of hours and you're on top of it, then it should never go. Uh, Russell, Russ Ogden gave a great talk about that after the World Cup here in 2012, where he was saying, you know, like, listen, if you have a frontal on this glider, you're not ready for that glider. That, you, that just okay. that should just not happen. Let it go, it right. Should, right? You know, so you right. you have screwed up. Like those, the gliders just these two liners these days. They talk to you so much that you know they are sending you all those signals. It should never just be a blind hit. And so so yeah. So there's a lot of caveats there. Now, for Ice Peak Six, which used to be like the comp wing, you know, along with like the Enzo. These CCC gliders, so the Ice Peak 8, the Enzo 2, the Enzo 3 is coming out. That's a different ball. That's a different glider to me. That's not the same two-liner. That to me, I mean, they are gorgeous. It's amazing what they can do. I mean, the, the glide, everything on those is is percentage higher and better. And they're just, they're magnificent. But to me, why would I fly one of those in Sun Valley? I to me I don't think that that extra little 5% means anything unless we're racing. You know, it, like to just go downwind, um you know, we we had a big day a few weeks ago where a dude on a mentor blew me out of the water by 60k. You know, I I I was on the peak 4, I'm not on a CCC glider, but I mean, you know, we're flying downwind. It doesn't matter that much. And you know, if you're going for an 8 to 10 hour flight, um, I think you're going to go farther and do better if you're on a glider that you don't have to manage as much, you know, that you don't have to be so freaked out on. And so, you know, like flying in the Owens last September at nationals, you know, I, I like the move that Josh made flying the UP, you know, that, that made a lot of sense to me, you know, rather than flying, um, you know, most of the people were on the hot ships and I, I think you got to pick your place you know like if you're flying the green grass of europe uh for a two and a half hour pwc you know most of us if we're flying like hot ships you know we can keep it together for three or four hours no problem but seven eight nine maybe you haven't eaten as well maybe you haven't you're not as hydrated whatever you know you're in the sierras it's freaking hot whatever you know i don't know i i so then then i think that argument starts to break down and then i think i'm way more with you that like well I don't really get why these guys in the Wasatch and here and in the Sierras are flying CCC gliders on free flight days. I, I don't think that makes that much to me. Again, they're going to argue another thing, but to me, I don't think that makes that much sense because you're, it, it is a more demanding glider to keep open. And if it closes on you, if something happens on you, for sure, you, you, you've, you've, you're, you're in a wrestle match 